0: Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry.
1: And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And, of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children.
0: Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful.
1: Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Korean American Parenting Podcast. And wherever you are, whenever you may be listening to this, we hope that you and your family are staying healthy and staying safe. Today's guest is somebody that I had the pleasure of meeting a few months ago um, on my other podcast, Through the Asian Americans. Uh, She's a friend of Sarah Park Dolan and a resident of uh, the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. And so we got a chance to meet actually through a panel that we hosted Uh, under the theme of Black Lives Matter, and as somebody who lives and has grown up in Minnesota um, and is uh, the mother of a biracial child and somebody who studies um, racial behavior and racial dynamics. And and I just thought she'd be the perfect uh, guest to share with us um, a lot of the things that I think many Korean-American parents want to talk to our kids about. Um, Frankly, we just don't know how because it is not our lived-in experience. And so uh, really, really super excited uh, to welcome uh, Dr. Sujin Pate to the show. Hi, Sujin.
2: Hi, how are you? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
1: Thank you for coming on, Sujin.
0: You are a very busy person these days, and we are so grateful that you've made time for us. Um, Your podcast, the Anti-Racist Parenting Podcast, is wildly popular. I loved it. Um, I think you and your co host, Hannah, um, have really done an amazing job to talk to parents and informing them and uh, educating them on how to have these challenging conversations. And I think it's extra important that it is somebody who, at least, at least visually, looks like an ally mm-hmm. that is having these conversations. Um, because it is more at least the way I hear it, we're all in this together and let's do this together. So um, if you haven't uh, please subscribe over at anti-parentingpodcast.com um, really really great great information um, and in a in a sea of uh, you know potential what seems like despair and a lot of things that we need to fix, uh, not just with our country, but with the world, I think you will be inspired to do that. Um, Sujin, tell us a little bit about you and and let the audience know a little bit, uh, about you.
2: Sure. So, um, I am a professor of race and ethnic studies. Um, I also, that's, that's probably like the majority of my background. So I, that's why I went to grad school, was to be a professor. Um, so I, I do that part-time now and work full-time as a diversity and equity and inclusion consultant with um, a company that I just recently joined as a co-owner and um, new partner, Strategic Diversity Initiatives. So we help companies and organizations embed equity into all that they do to create you know, and, and, and to transform their, their systems and their processes um, to shrink and eliminate uh, disparities th- throughout their organization. And I'm also a writer. And, and as you had mentioned, a co-host of, of a podcast on anti-racist parenting.
0: How did you... Get passionate about the things that you teach about, the things that you write about, and now the things that you uh, share with your co-host on the podcast.
2: Yeah, so I think it's because of my experience as a marginalized person, as a person of color, as a woman, as an immigrant, as an adoptee. There's there's all kinds of aspects of my identity that has led to pain, trauma, (laughs) discrimination, you know, all that stuff, right? And so in having those lived experiences, I have devoted myself to making the spaces that I enter more equitable and inclusive because I don't want other people to have the same experiences that I had growing up. Um, and you know we had talked about uh, prior to, um, prior to this this podcast, uh, um, Jerry. You had mentioned your business model is to create things that you always have wanted but hasn't existed, right? And so that's kind of my approach as well: is to cr- create opportunities. And you, like, I, I have a catalog of. Um, I, I just remember like thinking when i was like in high school and in college like oh man if i only had a professor who looked like me and who did this and who did that and 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 so that's what I'm doing like you know a, as as an educator i'm i'm living out and manifesting kind of my my wishes um back in the day and the same thing in terms of my writing like i was really wanting to 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 read a book about Korean adoption from the perspective of an adoptee, which led to my first book. So, so that's kind of, yeah. So I, you know, the, the impetus is oppression. <laughs> Bottom line, you know, is like me, me living um and living under oppressive conditions has spurred me to make um, changes in our society um, in a way that, has actual, like, material effects on people's lives, like in a, in a positive way. Hopefully, that that is the goal, anyway.
1: Susan, I think that's pretty, actually, really quite amazing in my mind, um, and um, I can describe what you're talking about. You know, um, kind of taking your own, really quite difficult, distressing experience, and making it to better for making it better for everybody else that's in therapy terms is called sublimation. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. But I, I, and, 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 you know, they say that that's the best form of kind of, um, you know, getting over your trauma. Mm. Right. Um, and so that's essentially what you're doing, but also part of it is I do know that that really requires a lot of introspection, but also a lot of, difficulty in that you're reliving in some of these things every day yeah. that um, that you're do- doing the work. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of um, your background as, a, as an adoptee and how that really translated into you going into this work.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um... So, you know, as an adoptee, because I was adopted into a family where I felt ostracized, where I felt rejected, unloved, um, and, and like I, I became really intimate <laughs> with with knowing what it feels like to be excluded, to, to feel unwelcomed and unwanted. And um, I just, and so so because of that lived experience and that kind of intimate connection with that feeling, it just—it drives all of my work. It, it drives my work with students. It drives my work with staff and employees who talk about these same exact feelings. You know how they're being treated by leadership, by their su- supervisors and managers. Um, and it also—it also drives the work in terms of my parenting, how I parent my daughter because i i in all of those spaces i don't want anybody <laughs> to feel that way it's shitty it sucks <laughs> you know to, and 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 because we live in a society as you know people of color we are constantly bombarded by messages that is constantly trying to bring us down and so that's why it's so important as people of color with agency and power to create these spaces where we have in our, in our own spheres of influence, right? All of us have influence in some way. And so I've just devoted my life to, to like, that's my objective is every, every space that I enter, I don't, I want to create and cultivate a kind of environment where those feelings of neglect, um, uh, rejection can't even, can't even bubble up. Like because because the conditions are so ripe for inclusivity and belonging and acceptance.
0: I think I I've always found your background fascinating, um, because you used everything that you went through, uh, both positive and challenging, to really create a life and a personal brand really that screams I care about other people, uh, especially people that may not have had the same experiences I did or. You know, um, and, and so share with us sort of how um, you, you might, I don't know how many Koreans actually have uh, been a graduate of an HBCU, a hysterically black in college or in an university, um, but how did you begin to care about that voice? Um, I know that you went to an undergrad that is on perhaps uh, not opposite, but a evangelical conservative Christian university. And then found yourself at Howard studying African literature. Like, how how did that happen?
2: How did that happen? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, you can you know, we can thank the eleven year old white boy, or not eleven year old white boy, an eleventh grader, this white boy who was an eleventh grader. During my first uh, experience student teaching, you can thank him for the the change in tra- trajectory of my life um, because I went to school to become a high school English teacher. I knew from kindergarten that I wanted to be a teacher, and um, and 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 then you know later on really loved literature, and this is what I'm going to school for, to be a high school English teacher. Well, that first (laughs) student teaching experience, this um, white boy comes up to me, and he swears at me and says, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not going to do this assignment, and called me the B word. And no repercussions for that student whatsoever. Like the teacher did not back me up. And I said, you know, after that experience, I'm like, you know what? I think I'm done. Like (laughs) I, I had my taste of what it's like to be a high school English teacher, like not interested. Um, and luckily, luckily that experience coincided with, it was the last semester of my senior year, um, of undergrad, and they taught the, the, this, the college offered for the first time in its history, a course on African American literature. Mm-hmm. It was on the Harlem Renaissance. And for the first time in my life, I had read literature that actually spoke to my soul, to my lived experience. I had no idea that there was literature out there that I could actually, like, personally identify with. <laughs> because all up to that point, I'm reading literature by white people. And so, um, so, so because of that, and me realizing I don't want to be a high school English teacher, but still being passionate about education, I thought about well, maybe I can be a professor. Not sure about that. Don't know if I'm smart enough to be a professor. But I do know that I really want to learn more about this literature. So that is what led me to Howard. Um, And at Howard, that's how I. That's how I. It opened my eyes, it transformed everything about me. It's because of that place that I am who I am today. Because at Howard, I realized the liberating um, aspects of education, that that education doesn't have to be oppressive, um, but it also can, can liberate. And I also was able to see connections. So here's this adoptee, right? Who was raised in an all-white family in a predominantly white community reading the literature of african americans and feeling like these are my people like how how does that happen (laughs) and 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 it was because and and so how that happens is because the way that racism works it uh, they racism is is both tired you know, and cliche and also innovative, right? Because they're, so, and, and by innovative, I, 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 so what do I mean by tired and cliche? Because, um, racist powers, they use the same tactics among all communities of color, and that leads to a shared experience of oppression around identity, around, you know, all kinds of things. Um, so when I talked to, so when I went to Howard and, shared my experience with other black folks there they're like it was like we're we're like tell me something i haven't heard right i mean it's Mm -hmm. like they they know exactly what what i'm talking about on the but then racist power can also be innovative um because they they can wield their racist power in different forms and different ways that leads to different experiences right and so um so, yeah, that, that's but but that's how I got to care about other people. And because at Howard, the education I received there opened my eyes to how interconnected and how interrelated we all are, including white folks, not just with, you know, among people of color, but including white folks because racism affects them, too.
1: So, I mean, I think that this is actually a really great point, especially in this. Time of, of 2020, when so many things are going on, um, and there's so much uh, polarizing um, in the world. Um, and I think w- uh, one of the questions that I get a lot these days um, is, as an Asian American, how do you navigate this movement, and how do we, um, how do we teach our children? Um, to learn about their place in this world and to be um the, that person who is not going to perpetuate this um cycle um i know i'm asking you to like write a novel here like a big um, yeah that's I don't a know, huge like question encyclopedia yeah. on it
2: mm-hmm. yeah well I, I i think you know what I'll, I'll just share from my experience so you know it's just even having the conversation right so like you know, my daughter is is uh, lucky in the sense that like, I'm well versed in this. Right. Like I'm trained in this yes. stuff. So <laughs> like, I, I so I can talk about this like very easily. But for those parents who don't know, then learn with your child. So let me give you an example. So this summer, um, I did not know a lot about like I, I understood what abolition was you know, because there were calls for defund the police and all that stuff. I didn't know what abolition was, and I certainly, I, I'm sorry, I did know what abolition was, but I didn't quite understand the full, like, nuances of it um, and how that plays out, like, like in our world. And, and I certainly didn't know the history of policing in our country. And so my daughter and I, we learned together <laughs> about this, Um, So she we we got her enrolled in an online online course that was specifically geared to like her age. And then I did my own self-study and we would come together and talk about like what we learned and have conversations around that. So even if you don't have to be an expert, you can learn right along with your child. And like what an amazing model that is as a parent, right, or a guardian or a caregiver to do that with a young person. Like, to, to let them know that, you know, so, like, what are the things that you're modeling for them? That, that there is never a time when you stop learning, right? That, like, you don't reach a certain age and then you stop learning. That curiosity is, like, a beautiful thing. That, that learning can, can take place together. That we're in this together instead of this hierarchy of top-down. I mean, there's just... And, and, and also, like, caring about people who are being hurt. So am I, am I being phys- directly like physically hurt by police brutality? No. Has my daughter? no. Has her father? no. But is her father scared so her father is black. Is her father scared every time he goes out and drives? Absolutely. right? Am I scared? Am I scared along with him? Absolutely. And so just because it doesn't directly affect us doesn't mean, that we shouldn't care and, and, and that it's not important to learn about the issues that are hurting and devastating communities because here's the thing, if they can do it to them, they can do it to us. And it's happened historically, right, in the past. Yeah. So like, that's why I'm saying we are all interconnected and interrelated because, yeah, what they do to one person can happen to us in a year, 10 years, 50 years later.
0: I think it's, you, you bring up a really, really great point, Sujin, that many Korean Americans, Asian Americans broadly as well, depending on when you came here and how you came here, you either don't think that oppression affects us because mm-hmm. stereotypes, right? Model minority, yep. we, we can study our way out. We can yeah. earn our way out. We, we live in uh, immigrant enclaves in the suburbs where, we don't associate or we don't see a lot of black and brown folks. Um, Many belong to religious communities where homosexuality is still a sin and they don't have any friends from those communities. And and so it's really hard, I think, if you put all that together where a a giant group of people have come to this country to quote-unquote improve our outcomes and helping other people doesn't contribute to the improvement of our outcome. Because we have been conditioned just to put our head down and go go go. Um,
2: although, although I would I would correct that though, because helping other people if they do better, it will naturally make our lives better.
0: But they right? don't see as that, humanity, not As humanity, not like as like one human, see that.
2: Yes, yes, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: And and so I, I think what twenty twenty has done for for all its challenges, and we're still going through crap, right? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that the Breonna Taylor grand jury ruling came out two days ago and um, literally we might see, you know, protests and other unrest this weekend. Um, But what I am hopeful through all this is that our community, especially our peers who are parents, are finally realizing that this is an us issue. Yes. And we have this weird burden being in the middle. A lot of us, uh, you know, parents of younger children where I almost feel like I have to teach my kids and my parents this shit because mm. my parents mm. don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. Because to them, America is always other people's problem. It's they're yes. never they never really see themselves as American first. Right. I am a yes. Korean living in America and it's their problem. Yes. I'm here as a guest still forever. Mm-hmm. And and so they other themselves out of the political discussion, and they generally vote for however their pastor tells them to vote, right? Based on one mm-hmm. or two key issues that they think is is paramount. But sure, for 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 a lot of uh, younger parents, it's the double burden of trying to teach two, gen- three generations. You got to teach yourself mm-hmm. in two different languages, <laughs> like all this mm-hmm. stuff, and it is daunting and it is exhausting because. At the same time, we're trying to figure out, as you just said, you know, not everybody has the luxury of having a robust, diverse experience that some of us have. Right. And 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 so I think especially having somebody like you who uses the privilege of your education and your platform and your relationships to bring others along in this journey, um, to humbly say like we're going to learn this together and even just you sharing your story about like i'm I'm here with my teenage daughter like learning this stuff together um something that's really important to me as a parent is like normalizing apologizing to my kids that appa doesn't know everything right yeah. like and,
2: yeah. and that there's no shame in that right no sh- just, because it's human
0: right but this macho parent <laughs> well, yeah
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's modeling, right? Because letting these kids know that it's okay to not know something yeah. and that that you work at it, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: yeah. think that's really, and it's something that we were, uh, as as a generalization, that many of us were not as exposed to. Um, like, I think if you if if you survey a bunch of thirty something year old, forty something year old Korean American people, like, yo, know, like, did your dad ever apologize to you? You're like, mm. no,
2: yeah, of course not. <laughs> yeah
0: or did he ever say what I would don't they know? have to apologize right. for <laughs> what did i do wrong Right. Yeah. Like, I, yes. did they say sorry did they say i don't know did they say yeah. thank you yeah. like all these yeah. things and then that's not bad right like they had other things to worry about like survival and war and so we have to and this is evolution we're, we're trying to get to a better mm-hmm. better more uh authentic place but um Share with us, sort of, the, the the lessons that you can share with fellow parents on how some of the things that you've learned to empathize with people that you didn't grow up with, right? Because you are now a staunch and very, very uh, amazing vocal uh, platform on anti-racism, on you know uh, in- inter-community relations. And you have not been shy about talking about raising your daughter 100% fully Korean and 100% fully Black. A lot of Korean-Americans who are here in the States, as I mentioned earlier, have not had the privilege of living in as diverse communities, even when they go to college, um, especially out here in California. like We are the dominant groups on many college campuses. Mm -hmm. And so even though on paper it may seem like a diverse group, you don't come away with a diverse group of friends. what are some tips that you can share in terms of maybe resources? Obviously, listening to your podcast is a good first step, but like, how do you, how do we develop the empathy muscle to begin to understand, especially in this pandemic era, where we can't go physically visit communities and and see friends and have in person conversations?
2: Yeah. So uh, honestly, the key to it all is building relationships with actual human beings who are different from you. And, you know, I I did not grow up in a a diverse place at all. Um, So I was intentional. And that's the thing. You have to be intentional and you have to be deliberate at seeking those kinds of connections and relationships. So what did I do in in college? I joined a black church. I joined the AME church, an African Methodist Episcopal church. And I, I got, got involved. I didn't know anybody there. Um, I, I plugged myself in, got involved. I was a Sunday school teacher. I led um, the women's Bible study. Um, you know, I was part of the choir. Like, so, and and through that engagement, you're building like personal, intimate, like connections and relationships with people who are different from you. Um, so there are so many opportunities for people to engage and plug in you you just have to be deliberate (laughs) to and 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 not wait for it to come to you but actually be intentional about making that decision to do so and once you are in that space join participate engage because it's only through that engagement are you able to to form those you know um personal relationships so personal relationships is key you can't read your way into becoming an empathetic person. You can't read your way into being compassionate and understanding the struggles of other people. No, nope, not going to happen. You can you can read in terms of like understanding kind of the larger historical context, but for it to actually mean something personally to you, where, you know, Brianna's death or George Floyd's death is like I take that personally just as much and it angers and traumatizes me just as much as a black person like, that only can come through personal connections with people who are different from you. And in order for that to happen, you have to seek outside of your comfort zone. You have to go outside of your day-to-day. Um, you just have to. Switch up your routines. Switch up the, the places that you shop, um, that you, you know, that you go to church that, you know, you know, all there's just so many, things, so many ways to to connect with people who are different from you, even in midst of a pandemic, because I'm like my, my, um my co- collaboration and network has probably uh, tripled in size over the summer. And all of the people that like this new, these new connections that I'm making, including you, Jerry, and you, Jang, is through virtual platforms. So it is possible to, to develop meaningful relationships and connections in a virtual world.
1: So you're really pushing yourself to kind of uh, get yourself out there. And um, it's quite amazing to hear your story because you, despite all the painful experiences you've gone through, you're actually putting yourself out there vulnerable. Oh, so that I ab- yes. can get to know you.
2: Yeah, and I mean that and that is that's the thing. That's that's how connection is created is through vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we have to be vulnerable in in order to to make that to yeah, for for any meaningful sustainable relationship to to take place.
1: And in, in a way I think you're teaching your 13-year-old courage Mm. to be able to be vulnerable, right? And I think that, to me, I think is so heartwarming because to do it um, and actually showing it to your child instead of just talking about it, you're actually putting them into action so that, yes, you can read lectures with her and learn about it, but you're actually the live model Mm. that she's going to grow with. Um, That's quite amazing to me.
2: Thank thank you for that. And and here's the thing, if you are, you know, more introverted and shy like and this feels mm-hmm. scary to just like insert yourself into some, you know, community or church or group, you know, that you have like zero affiliation with, take your family. It can be a family thing. You know, you don't have to do it by yourself or ask a friend to join you. You don't have to do it by yourself.
0: And I think sometimes the fear is how that act of us being in a new place will be received. Um, hmm. but Say
2: more about that.
0: I, I think a lot of us, so I, I had a very interesting experience in high school. Um, I went to high school in New York city and I belonged to uh, uh, at the time, the Christian student club on campus. That was a network of different clubs across New York city. And so Um, The school that I went to, although very diverse, the Christian club there was a bunch of Korean and Chinese kids. But when we Mm -hmm. went to these larger uh, monthly meetings and these larger retreats, um, it reflected the diversity of New York City, which, uh, you know, especially on the uh, evangelical Christian side were a lot of our black and brown brothers and sisters. And so like, I had that early experience of um, this is not the church that I grew up in because the stereotypical uh, conservative korean churches you know you just stand and clap and hear these people like yeah, dancing and, and screaming quiet. and right <laughs> yes. and i was like this is and i think that's intimidating to a lot of people because it's it's a different brand of of the thing that you grew up with um but then they uh are so welcoming because it's somebody not from their community showing interest yeah. in you right and this, this is an analogy that I can think of. Like if, if you ever go to Korea or a Korean restaurant with a non-Korean friend who speaks Korean, you know how we get so impressed when somebody who is a foreigner, quote unquote, yeah. speaks our culture because we still have like tiny peninsula country mentality where like, oh, my God, you took the time to learn our language. And we're so grateful because we're a tiny country. Like that's how a lot of people in smaller communities feel about other people coming in and taking an interest in them. Right. Especially, I think, Asian and black, when the media portrays us as we don't care that Mm -hmm. we just want to run our businesses and go like. And so once you reach out and humble yourself and make yourself vulnerable and basically reaching that handout, I think, again, just understanding that I don't know what I don't know, but I'm here to learn. um, Yeah, I I think that's powerful. And you will probably inspire. You probably inspired folks at that church that you went to to go do even other things outside of their comfort zone because they don't know your background as an adoptee and even more so growing up in a predominantly white community. They just judge you by, hey, here's this Asian girl. What is she doing here? Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure you, some of those your, your classmates and other folks on campus at Howard may have thought the same thing because, yeah, Korean kids don't go to Howard. Or any, you know.
2: Well, and 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 also, you know, the 90, 1992, like L.A. like uprising mm-hmm. and all the mm-hmm. um, all the like the news coverage of black Asian, you know, violence mm-hmm. against each other, like that was still pretty fresh when I went to Howard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yep, I, I definitely experienced that. Um, but uh, again, here's the thing: is like yeah so my first year at Howard it was hell. <laughs> I I was put oh. through I was put through the 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 fire for, for sure. Um where where I was met with that kind of you know that kind of attitude but after I you know formed those relationships w- then it was like I'm part of this huge family and and it was worth it. Um but But that that shouldn't stop folks from from, you know, reaching out and making those connections with people who are different from you, Um, because that's that's that can be with anybody. Right. Um, That can happen to anybody. And and regarding the church example. No, I was fully embraced. Uh, Like I I was never met with like, what are you doing here or why are you here? Mm -hmm. Um, But I I just think if we go into these spaces with a sense, like as you were saying, Jerry, um, like I'm here to learn a sense of curiosity rather than judgment, um, then that sense of intimidation, like, whoa, this is weird. Like, I'm not used to this. All that falls away if you come in with an attitude of curiosity and exploration and adventure. Like, what new thing can I, you know, can, can I experience?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's actually really um, good advice um, to kind of think of it as something new, exciting instead of new anxiety provoking. And share, yeah,
2: and scary, Uh Mm uh-huh, yep.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to kind of tilt the gear a little bit um, to talk a little bit about um, culture and Korean Americans and raising a Korean American child for yourself Um, I I, we actually had this question asked to us when we started the podcast um, by one of the interest members Um, so not to point you out but um, as a Korean adoptee um, I know you've came here a little bit uh, um, later than a lot of other adoptees and have memories but how do you um, teach your child, a culture that you have not been immersed in, but yeah. it is still part of you. So, what? How do you navigate that?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a really good question, and you know, I, I I think my question, I know my question would be vastly different if I had not reunited with my Korean mother. Mm-hmm. Vastly different. So, because I reunited with her and had a relationship with her um, prior to. You know, having my daughter, Um, I'm, I'm, like I'm, I'm passing on the things that I've learned from my amma, and so uh, as an adult, since during our reunion, during that time, I was very, very uh, demanding. (laughs) In the sense of wanting her to teach me all the things that 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 I wish I I knew how to do, um, and and specifically around like cooking, so I had her do like a one week intensive in teaching me all my favorite things. <laughs> That that I loved that that she used to make for me when I was a child, and so um, yeah, I have a recipe book with all of her stuff, and 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 I'm very intentional about like passing that on to my daughter. Now, if I if if it weren't for that, if I hadn't um, reunited with my birth mother. I probably would have, um, well, what I did prior to that was, uh, there's, you know, YouTube videos out there, Manchi, for example, right? Um, (laughs) yeah. And I use that. Yeah. Yeah. And following her and, and learning from that. And then, um, you know, there's, I have, there's, I'm friends with some ajumas around the the twin cities. And so I would have probably reached out to them to, for information on that, but, um, But yeah, so how I how I teach her Korean culture is mainly through food, because that's how I know Korean culture (laughs) is mainly through food. I don't know the language, so I'm not able to pass that on to her Um, and. Yeah, like you know, we like I know K-pop's really popular right now. Um, <laughs> yes. So, so we've listened to you know a little bit of that. But I would say, like the way that Korean culture shows up in our in our family is food. Yeah,
0: I think that's the way that a lot of us, um, you know, remember or resonate with our culture. Um, you know, Susan, you, you shared on the Chan Show podcast sort of how when you went back to Korea for the first time, the foods that you thought you were, tr- you know, um, that, how do I say this? The, the food that you thought you were trying for the first time just hit a memory nerve that said, no, there's, I've had this before. I've
1: had this before. Right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and a, a, lo- a lot of us, uh, you know, uh, 30, maybe a little bit older folks, like as we get older like comfort food becomes Korean food because yes. that's, I don't know if it's genetic yeah. or just conditioning, but like when you're sick or when you're down, like, and as you get older, the palate changes more to yes. Korean comfort foods. It, it's weird. Cause I think we all sort of go through it. And so I, I think it's really, really awesome that you're using food, um, which is universal, right? Um, everybody mm-hmm. eats and, um, not in twenty. Well, I yeah. think
1: it really, it really hits all kinds of senses, right? Um, the visual, the taste, and the smell. And it, I, they say that smell is like the um, the sensory that lasts longest. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. like the, in memory, oh, right? Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, so I mean, you have no idea how like thrilling it is when my daughter like specifically asks for like barley tea you know, or, oh, or, wow. or is like, hmm, I'm feeling like seaweed soup today, or, hmm, how about for dinner, like, what? you have no idea, like, how amazing that, like, makes me feel as a parent, um, when, when, when these, like, when she has hankerings for this stuff, right, mm-hmm. and it's rooted mm-hmm. in, like, what, yeah, the comfort food of Korea, <laughs> I just love that,
0: that is, That is so awesome. And um, through our uh, engagement uh, virtually and and online, um, your love for your daughter and your care for her and your desire to uh, raise her as the most confident person that she can be and and to not let anything limit her, Sujin, I think is really inspiring Um, for for me as the father of uh, much, much younger children um, trying to make, you know, they're not old enough to understand completely what's going on in the universe. Um, they just know that they have to be home every day. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think all these things that we are teaching our children, um, and it's something that Jeng and I talked about um, in an earlier episode, which is, you know, as challenging as this year has been, it's a golden gift to really um, shift how th- to uh, shape the environment that your kids are in, mm-hmm. which is mostly home. So modeling, yeah. you know, apologizing, spending time together, um, and not potting that responsibility off to school because we can't, yes. uh-huh. um, and for, for parents who thought they'd be able to send their kids back to school in the fall surprise, you know, we get to keep them at home a little bit longer. Um, and so I, I think, you know, uh, as, especially as we head into election season, as we head into what, uh, still potentially could be more tumultuous times ahead. I think really uh, giving our fellow parents the confidence and the information and the tools to have these conversations um, and to also even just normalize talking about it as, as the three of us, you know, three Korean American parents from diverse backgrounds um, talk about it. I, I think, I hope that if you're listening to us, that you feel at least 1% more um encouraged or motivated and inspired mm-hmm. to have that conversation um and on that note um tell us the inspiration behind the anti-racist Pot- parenting podcast um and what do you want to what do you hope to achieve um in particular to the part of the audience that is the Asian American parent
2: yeah so um the history behind this is it's well okay I had been for past 5 6 years I had been thinking about putting together like a series like a blog series called like letters to my daughter to um to to yeah to to talk to her about you know all the different key areas um well basically no let me let me start over the the letters to my daughter blog was originally conceived to basically arm her with all the different skills and tools to thrive in a country that wasn't built for her, that doesn't care about her, and that actually actively works to disparage her. So that is what the letters to my daughter was about. And in that, also sharing with um, other caregivers and parents, like, you know, how to... How to be anti racist in raising your child. And so now we'll speed up. Like, you know, six years later, a uh, couple months ago, my friend Hannah uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, do you want to start a podcast? I'm like, sure. She's like, Let's do a podcast on parenting. I'm like, Yes, absolutely. And we're like, what about an anti-racist parenting podcast? And so we're like, yeah. yeah." And so that's how it started. And within like a month and a half, we had our first episode on. And the whole purpose of it is we are trying to build a cadre of warriors, anti-racist warriors who, um, so starting with parents and caregivers who will raise their generation of anti-racists and that th- those children are getting it early on, and it's just gonna be like autopilot for them in terms of how they raise their own children when they have children. So it is it is um of a, a forward-thinking and future thinking movement <laughs> um, because we're we're trying to tr- transform our, our society. And as it relates to Asian Americans specifically, you know, I think we have to demythologize this um. Idea that Asian Americans are apolitical. Uh, Because, first of all, it's not true. And secondly, that idea of Asian Americans being apolitical and being, you know, silent and docile and not really, you know, engaged in um, activism, that is a stereotype that was created by white people to pacify us and to put us down to silence us. Okay, so wh- so if you if you buy into that stereotype, you're buying into racist power, and so so you like the Asian American community needs to know that we have a long history of badass like warriors and activists who have always been in the struggle for liberation of oppressed peoples, not only here in the U.S but also internationally. That is a part of our history. And not only that, in our home countries, right? Koreans, we have a long history of being anti-colonial, fighting against the Chinese, the Japanese, the Americans for our own like independence. And so like we forget that and we need to bring it back into center because if we realize that that's our history that is our legacy it is actually a part of our dna then we'll realize that hey guess what it's also a part of the history and part of the dna of all these other communities of color who have been fighting the same fight as well for centuries in their home countries and so we are so interconnected folks and and that's what i want asian americans you know to to realize and and that's why i think it's also important you know um, um, like f- for me, as an Asian American woman, to be like visually out there and 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 demonstrating to folks that, like you know, being apolitical is, is like us bu- feeding into racist power and into white supremacy.
1: Well, thank you, Sujin. I think your um, your podcast and everything that you do. Um, yes, we are and you are a promoting, um, you know, raising warriors. Um, but I think you yourself is a warrior mm-hmm. and we can look up to that. And thank you for being vulnerable um, and and strong at the same time um, to lead this movement for all of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: it's really quite inspiring for me, actually. Thanks so much for having me.
2: And Jerry, you know, I like it's, I, I will always say yes to you. <laughs>
1: Oh, we're gonna take that. We're gonna take that. We got. It's in record, record. Okay. We got, well, you got it on record, it. record now, huh? We, we got some
0: other ideas for you, um, but but Sujan, when, when I think of you and having to got having gotten to know you better through the various conversations that we've had, um, the word that really comes to mind is badass. And mm-hmm. I think you have inspired more than you know. Um, you have inspired more than you will probably ever want to admit. Um, but, uh, we were not raised regardless of how we were raised in general, we were not raised to speak our voice, to fight back. Um, and certainly not to speak up for other people that have nothing to do with us Mm -hmm. and to see you do that with the, uh, not just who you are, but, uh, with the education and the platform that you sit on and that you stand on and, and to do it proudly and do it publicly. And, Uh, for all of us to see that in action is so cool um, because we need to see it for us to believe that we can do it. And it's not just true with children's literature. It's really true. I think it's actually more impactful for adults because we're sitting on decades of negative self-imaging and negative self-doubt and imposter syndrome that we can't, that we shouldn't. Um, And we've pigeonholed ourselves in the communities with friends who all think that way. And we are so scared to be the first one to deviate and to say, let's start caring about other people. And so um, through what you do and the content that you create, uh, know that you're making a great impact in the community. And I, I hope that impact uh, begins to grow even more um, and, and hope that it plays a critical role in the healing that we need uh, desperately in our communities, in our country. So thank you.
2: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much, Jerry. Wow. I'm I'm Oh, I, I I have no words. Thank you. All I can say is thank you to that. Wow, that that's truly like extraordinary. That's true.
0: What you just so, shared with me. No, thank, thank you. you. Um, and I say all that personally as somebody who has felt that way from observing and uh, observing and absorbing your work. And so mm-hmm. I, I know that I am not alone.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
0: Awesome, and we're Thank gonna again. We're, we're gonna put the links to Sujin's website profile. Um, if you want to read her book, uh, which came out in 2014, from uh, orphan to adoptee, U.S. Empire and genealogies of Korean adoption, um, we'll put the links to that as well and um
1: and the podcast and
0: and her anti-racist parenting podcast mm-hmm. and um she is an executive and a founder in the diversity space she speaks on this stuff for a living so if you want to invite her whether it's to your organization or to your platform to share more of her story and to inspire even more uh discussions around how we can be better parents
2: and you can go to strategicdi.com
0: strategicdi.com we'll put all those links in the comments for you um As always, we thank you for taking the time out of your busy lives in addition to your work, uh, both as a parent and however you make a living. And uh, we thank you for spending a little bit of your time with us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again, Sujin.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I want to thank our guest and for you for joining us today as we share our stories and our perspectives along our own Korean American Parenting journeys. Follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Korean American Parenting, and be sure to check out our website, koreanamericanparenting.com, to learn more about the podcast, about us, and about our community. Please take a moment to rate and review this episode if you are listening to us on Apple and share this episode and this podcast with a friend or two in your life who you think would benefit from listening to us. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We wish you all the health and happiness as we go along our parenting journeys together. And we'll see you next time on the Korean American Parenting Podcast.